It's time for Nordic on Tap. I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. In this podcast, we'll travel to Oslo and talk to a teacher to see how the Norwegian and U.S. early child education differs, and then talk to a salesperson about Norway's folk costumes, or bunads, and how they're big business these days. I have a friend named Torhild, who is a Barnehage teacher in Oslo, Norway. I got the chance to chat with her about her work, but first I looked up what a Barnehage was. In Norway, kids go to a Barnehage before starting formal schooling, what we might call first grade. Barnehage translates as a children's garden or kindergarten, so that makes sense that Barnehage comes before first grade. In the United States, kindergarten is for kids five to six years old. In Norway, Barnehage has kids starting as young as one years old and going up to five years old, so clearly Norwegian and American kindergartens are not the same. Barnehage is more similar to what we call preschool, where college-trained teachers in early child education help kids through stories, their letters and sounds, counting, and how to play fair. Or, as Robert Fulgham would say, you learn to play fair, share, don't hit people, clean up your own mess, live a balanced life, flush, and wash your hands. But there's a difference in emphasis in certain things in Norwegian Barnehages that I find interesting. They champion egalitarianism or equality between people, taking care of each other, and emphasize nature. Our preschools go out into a yard for maybe 50 minutes of recess a day, as long as it's not rainy or too cold. The Norwegians are a bit different here, too. But I'll let you listen yourself as Torhild explains it. I'm here with Torhild Eskelsen, and we're actually out in the middle of Oslo Fjord. I wanted to ask her about her profession as Barnehage lehrer, teacher, and find out a little bit more about kindergarten, if you will, in Norway is different from in the United States. Well, I don't know the States, the kindergartens, but I do know the Norwegian ones. I've been working for 33 years, and I still love my work. I love working with the children. That part of the work is excellent. I like the challenge. I like to teach them and like to be maybe the one for the kids that has a meaning in their life. So we were talking earlier about how Norwegian children go outside a lot more than once in the United States. You spend a lot of time outdoors with the students? Yes, yes we do. We are outside every day. Uh, unless there is a hailstorm or thunderstorm. We go out in the summer, we are a lot out. We go hiking in the forest. During the, the right season, we uh, make a bonfire and we 
make food outside. I was uh, thinking this year that I have a lot of uh, the kids I work with is from three years till six when school starts. So this year I have a lot of three years old. So there will be no no knives and no cutting wood and stuff this year. I have to wait till I get a little bit older. But I'll take them outside and we go skiing in the winter, playing in the snow and. Well, when it's more than 15 degrees, minus 15 degrees Celsius, we have just like half an hour, maybe 45 minutes before we go in again. But we're out. That's cold. Fresh. Wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are not, uh, I'm more cold than them. They have more, they are playing more, running more, jumping more than I am. So am I, am I hearing that there, you have different age groups? Even within Barnahagia? Yeah. Yeah. We have. Uh, we ha oh, we also have for for the small ones from one till three. So they have small groups with nine children and three people working there. One Barnhagladet and two assistants. And in my unit, where there are 18 kids from three till six, we are also three staff and one Barnhagladet and two others. Are parents entitled to have their children in a, a Barnahage? Is that part of the state system or, or is it private? No, it's. Uh, it, I work in the state Barnahage, but there is uh, private ones as well. Yeah. Uh, and recent years they have been working very hard to try to get 100% coverage for children that want to go in Barnhage, yeah. but they're still not there yet. That's why they also have the private ones. Okay. Yeah, I think in the States, we have, for the younger ages, we, we call it preschool. They have activities and such, but kindergarten is, is usually considered just before first grade, and you're actually learning some, I mean, there's learning activities. How does that differ? Is it the same for you? Uh, yes, we, we have learning at activities for the for the preschoolers we call them uh, and then we have some days a week that they have their own we make their own group for only them and we we have activities that are getting them prepared to school in a way that we learn them a little bit about what's ahead of them a little bit about things to do to try to be able to sit and listen for some time to be able to repeat what they have learned you know, listen to a story tell what they've learned learn a little bit about shapes and maybe recognizing letters, letters but not yeah. learning to read but introducing them to to the school stuff so would they learn their alphabets or is that more later no, they will start on learning their alphabet some of them learn to read by themselves or by the, their parents and someone doesn't Al already they go to school. yeah yeah sounds like you have a fair amount of freedom in the curriculum if you will what you have to teach or want to teach. Is that true? We have freedom, but we also have something called Rammeplan for Barnhager, which is a state set of uh, rules for what uh, and contains what we are supposed to teach within seven different areas that we are uh, going to teach, uh, which goes on language and communication and uh, science, religion and ethics and health issues and exercise and stuff like this that are meant to be put into the plans that we make. So I know at one time 
the Ministry of Education was also aligned with the Christian Church in the, old, in the older days. These days, when you when you talk about religion, is it still Christian oriented? Is it wider? Uh, it's wider than it was, I think. Uh, but we teach we are still our culture is based on Christianity, so. We still have that in the bottom. We celebrate Christmas. We have all these traditions that comes from that place. But we also, and so we celebrate Christmas, but we also celebrate the other religions and introduce them for the kids because we have kids from different religions and different parts of the world, or their parents are from different parts of the world. So we have, for instance, we talk about the Eid, which is the end celebration of Ramadan for the Muslim children. And we have, I have Muslim children in my unit. I also have a Hindu, so I will present that when we come along to their one of their celebration days. It's all about respect. Based on respect for each other, we can be together as a community. Yeah. Doesn't matter what your friend believe or what your friend look like, he's a person. Well, thank you, Torhild. I'm sure glad we have teachers like you teaching our young kids here in Norway. As a Norwegian-American, one of the things I've dreamed of wearing in parades on Norwegian Constitution Day, or Sutnamai, is a man's bunad. A bunad is a stylized, traditional type of folk clothing specific to Norway that is patterned, cut, and fashioned to reflect one's own Norwegian heritage. But it also reflects the county or district in Norway, even a specific valley from which your ancestors came. Bunads are based on the festive, traditional rural clothing of a specific locality, but are very much a 19th or 20th century invention. Now, why would I want one? Well, I love costumes, be it in theater and cosplay, in reenactments, because it gives me an identity with a time period, a culture, a vocation, or a geographical location in which I can pretend to be somebody else. Or, if the costume is a uniform as Bunad's could be, perhaps it's a mark of belonging to a culture. Uniforms tell you you belong to the scouts, or to a marching band, or to a profession. In the case of a bunad, I'd like to show my Norwegianness, but I have had trouble realizing my dream of having one because of the expense and what is required to get one. I've discovered that having a bunad, at least in Norway, has become something of a status symbol, since they cost anywhere from $2,000 to $10,000, and that's just for women's bunads. Surprisingly, about half of the Norwegian population own one, and you might guess, okay, that's, that's the female half, since the bunads are more popular among, among women, and that's of, of 2019. But bunad production houses are now saying that sales of men's bunads has, for the first time in history, surpassed that of women's bunads. In the United States, bunads are also very popular among folks affiliated with Norway and Norwegian groups, mostly, again, women. There are guys with bunads, but they often are members of Norwegian dance groups who perform in folk costume. That's why they have one. 
So, a man's benad is even more of a mark of Norwegianness in the United States. It used to be that the most common, most desired women's bunad was that from the Hardanger region, sometimes called the first bunad or primary bunad of Norway. It has a red bodice with a black skirt and a white apron. Um, the red bodice has an intricate beaded panel that sits behind the opening of the vest, uh, has an eight-petaled rose or star, among other things, and it's really very pretty. It's very ornate and colorful. And as with most bunads, same with the hardanger, a round brooch is worn, composed of, well, I'll call them hanging spoons, and the brooch is pinned at the neck, and when the gal moves around, the, the um, spoons sway. On other bunads, uh, there's lots and lots of colorful floral embroidery, often on the purse, on the skirt, sometimes on the bodice. Type in bunad. B-U-N-A-D, into Google to get a look at what some of these costumes look like if you're not familiar with them. Men's bunads are, are much less ornate, um, featuring usually a black coat and black knicker trousers and tall wool socks. It's the vest that varies the most, in my opinion, often made of some kind of ornate silk brocade or, or uh, some really distinctive wool plaid. Bunads are tied up with nationalistic pride and heritage, and their production and design is tightly controlled. Not just anybody can make a bunad, for part of what's controlled is the method of making them, if, if you want them to be called authentic. And this method is said to be a, a kind of cultural secret. The handcrafted production, along with the design itself, they say imparts a special sense of magic and quality and authenticity to a real bunad. So the way it's made is as much part of the authenticity as anything else. These days, the Norwegian Institute for Bunad and Folk Costume and the National Bunad Council estimates there's at least 200 official bunads out there and growing. The largest maker and seller of bunads in Norway is Den Norske Husfliden, or Norwegian Handicrafts, my translation, uh, which is made up of many shops situated in local areas around Norway, and they specialize in bunads from that area. And often they're the only places where you can get a bunad made for you from that particular region, because that's their specialty. Now, I am used to being able to make my own costumes. Yeah, I'm a guy who sews, but uh, indeed I need lots and lots of help from my wife. But the fabric for any specific man's bunad is very unique. You simply can't get this fabric at the local fabric store, not in the States for sure. It's copyrighted, or effectively so. And so are the bunad patterns. So it was with some amazement that I learned recently that Hyman Husfrieden in Oslo will sell you the fabric and the pattern for a bunad. My wife and I visited the Hyman Husfrieden on Rosenkranzgata to see if this was true. And believe it or not, I actually was able to buy the vest fabric for the man's Omli or Austagder Bunad. Now, Austagder is a district in Norway that is far from Oslo. It's, it's way down the, if you will, the bulb of Norway on the east side, almost near the bottom. Uh, that region is where my relatives are from. And this fabric, this brocade is amazing. It's, it's not a print. 
The weave incorporates this riot of pink and yellow flowers and green stems curling their way back and forth across a black background with, with metallic gold threads as highlights. Really pretty. So a friendly salesperson, Hanna, helped me buy two meters of fabric at Heimann Husflieden, and that cost me about $200. Yeah, <laughs> $100 a yard, effectively. I keep reminding myself that this is a one-of-a-kind fabric, how beautiful it is, and in fact, this was really my one chance to get some. The store itself is a wonderland, only surpassed perhaps by a 17th of May parade with people wearing bunads all around. But in the store, many of the bunads from all across Norway are on hangers and the silver buttons and the spoon brooches, the salia as they're called, and the scarves are on display to go with them. So Hanna was gracious enough to sit down with me and talk about her job at Heimann Husflieden. I'm with Hanna, and uh, I wanted to introduce you to her and have her talk a little bit about Hyman and what you sell here. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we have a business here uh, with uh, all the traditional costumes, and uh, we sell about 100 different bunads. And uh, this is um, from the 19th centuries, uh, from 1903. Um, so we have a very long history and a good um, tradition of making the bunads. How long have you been selling them or? Uh, I have selling this for two years, so yeah. I'm kind of new. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> do you do any sewing yourself? I do some sewing, but not uh, in the bunads. So, um, what makes Hyman different from other Husfriedens, would you say? I think it's uh, about our long history and also that we have a big, uh, kind of a big district. Um, we don't uh, just have uh, our local bunads, but we have from all the countries. And that's because our uh, main uh, mother, you can call it, yeah. she um, wanted all the bunads should uh, be used. So she collected them from the attics uh, at the uh, yeah, different peoples. It's not Garborg, no, that's back a ways. The, yeah. the, there was a woman who was big in national folk costumes. Yeah, she early, yeah. made the eyes on the costumes. Oh. So everyone followed kind of her and wanted to use bunads after this. Um, mm -hmm. So did you, in order to do this job, do you have yeah. to have special qualifications? You have to know about uh, seam and you have to know about um, our traditions. Yes. And uh, it's a lot to read about because it's uh, history and it's um, every kind of bunads have uh, their own special um, qualifications and yeah. Yeah, and we're sitting here with the scarves and yeah. the salia. Yeah, right? the silver. Yeah, mm -hmm. beautiful. And they are also, the goldsmiths are, have also have a big history in the bunads. They also made the, their own salia to every bunad. So if folk come to Oslo, yeah. you have to make sure they come here or you have another store in the Glass Magazine, right? Yeah, we have. Is so it similar there. or different? Uh, they have not so much uh, the bunads, but they have yarn. Yeah. So you can go there to buy yarn and do knitting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they are the experts there. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Anna. You're welcome. 
So that you don't go away without something to get your blood moving, I'll end the podcast with Ruthie Dornfeld and Alfred Morton Heyrup's rendition of two pieces. They'll start with a lovely new march, um, followed by Isadora's reel. Um, the reel is a traditional Quebecois fiddle tune. These folks play, Ruthie plays the violin or the fiddle, and Alfred Morton plays the guitar.
That concludes our podcast, and thank you for listening. You can visit us on Facebook soon and our website for Nordic on Tap at nordicontap.com. Hear us anywhere you're used to getting your podcasts, iTunes, Google, TuneIn Radio, among others. Our show's music is written and performed by Daryl Jackson at daryljacksonmusic.com, D-A-R-R-Y-L, jacksonmusic.com. Join us next time for a very special interview of Sami musician Mari Boyne. The Sami are the indigenous people of northern Norway, Sweden, and Finland. They occupy an area that is known as Sapmi. Vi hörs, vi förstår, och vi ses. We hear, we understand, and we'll be seeing you next time on Nordic on Tap.